Welcome to Growth Colony. I'm Alex from XGrowth. Today we've got an edited version of our share of search debate facilitated by Forto Group's general marketing manager, Mitchell Mackey. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and share the pod with a friend you think could get value from it. We're dropping in just as Shaheen introduces Mitchell, so let's dive right into the debate. Mitchell is a absolute legend. He's a uh, he's a he's a business leader, marketing leader, and he has this this amazing experience across the globe, from APAC to North America to Europe, you name it. Uh, a- a- absolutely amazing person. He's also been a guest on our podcast. He's been a guest and a speaker at some of our past events. So you are going to be in good hands. And uh, and now today, what is Mitchell doing today? I'll do a quick intro. I got to read it out so I make sure I, I get it right. So he's the general marketing manager at Fado, uh, which is a company helping build a next generation automotive financial service enterprise, bringing speed, flexibility, and profitability to car and trucks, new and used dealerships, and their customers. So that's that's the introduction for, for Mitchell, and he's going to be moderating this talk. On that note, Mitchell, I'll pass it to you. Please take it away, sir. Thanks, Shaheen. Thanks for that wonderful introduction. I really appreciate it. Uh, you, uh, with the Growth Colony, you and your colleague, uh, Alexander Hipwell, you do a fantastic job uh, cultivating this collaboration community. It's uh, It really is a, a wonderful resource. Uh, and uh, engagement platform for for uh, marketers in the B2B space. Uh, and it's truly my privilege, uh, everyone, uh, for me to moderate this share of search debate with two of our smartest and sharpest industry professionals, Holistic Analytics, Managing Partner Tasman Murray, and Forethought Researcher's Chairman Ken Roberts. Uh, I'll just explain a little of the context and background of both of these uh, uh, fantastic individuals. Forethought is one of Australia's most significant market research firms with a genuine global presence. They truly do play on the global stage. Chairman and founder Ken is recognised internationally as a leader. Uh, Forethought's research methodologies and marketing sites are genuinely world-class, providing clients with the actionable insights which drive growth across the fields of customer experience, brand communications, marketing, and organization alignment. In fact, Ken has always been a fast mover. In his youth, he was a competitive 100-meter sprinter who narrowly, just narrowly missed out on selection and a trip uh, to the 1984 Olympic Games in Los Angeles. Uh, uh, He had a great athletic record uh, uh, in his youth, which he's continued in his business and uh, 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 amateur coaching career uh, today. Holistic Analytics uh, managing partner Tasman, he's worked in the analytics space for over 15 years in Australia and internationally. He's helped companies across all verticals create solutions to drive greater profitability. Tasman's firm enables next generation business performance. I think that's really critically the the horizontal and vertical scope of holistic analytics in the way they can re-engineer, recalibrate a business for growth is fantastic. And, and Tasman, uh, a, a little uh, fact about uh, his personal interest uh, is the reality that he's a very keen whiskey enthusiast. Uh, yeah. He likes my brother's whiskey. My brother uh, is a distiller in Hobart and has uh, the Mackey whiskey brand and a couple of other uh, uh, spirits. Just there uh, behind you. Yeah. <laughs> And one day, Tasman, you 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 may, um, in fact, translate your skills into a distillery in Tasmania. Uh, numbers I, and numbers, why not? I wouldn't rule that out. Um, <laughs> now, before uh, our questions for Ken and Tasman, I must, of course, explain share of search. Simply defined, share of search is the share of a brand, uh, total brand search volume. May I repeat, a share a brand has of a market's total brand search volume. Now, this free data, as I think many of us know, can be sourced from Google Trends or Google Keyword Planner. If you work in digital marketing, it's not a new concept, of course. However, it's broad diagnostic application and the claimed implications uh, as an accurate indicator of future market share are what's new. Tasman describes share of search as a light touch, high impact, accurate market share predictor with potential for wide adoption. However, Ken cautions 
that the act of searching is not causal and that share of search or otherwise known as SOS should not replace sound survey-based brand measurement. So with that set up, let's begin our questions. Ken, you regard share of search as a metric that it is being overhyped, just as the net promoter score metric has been in recent years, with the claim that the NPS score is the one single number you need to grow. Taz, you also question the merit of the NPS methodology, but in contrast, you believe share of search has far more intrinsic value. Starting with you, Taz, could you both please elaborate? Absolutely. Uh, thanks, Mitchell. Firstly, I wouldn't touch MPS with a 10-foot pole. I've been through this with many companies before and always warned them against it. Uh, from with MPS is it's always been a poorly created research metric based on claimed behavior with no real predictive capability. Uh, instead of asking people about their experience, generally at the most useless part of the customer journey, it's actually better to use behavioral analytics combined with social listening and benchmarks to understand if the person actually does promote your products and to improve your customer experience. And I know BCG claimed that it did have predictive capability, but if you'd need to run it for years in order to work that out, and really the only takeout was companies that focus on improving customer experience make more money over time. No real shock there. Uh, but as Ken pointed out in a recent article, most advertising is pissed poor when it's held accountable for the two most basic metrics of effectiveness. That is, do consumers remember the ad and do they link it with the sponsoring brand? Now, using share of search, this can give you a resounding answer to that almost instantly. People need to, need to remember the ad in order to search for it and they need to remember the brand. Fantastic. So what makes share of search different from MPS is that A, it's based on actual behavior. What people have searched for, and as there is almost 17 years worth of data there, you can determine quickly using sound, statistical, mathematical methods, all the fun things people like, if, a, if SOS is predictive of your long-term performance. Um, I know we personally have tested SOS against market share for a range of companies, against revenue, against supplier sales, even against share price. And we found a predictive for each of these for some companies. Doesn't work for every company due to the way share of search is captured, but that is the nature of the beast. Um, the true value for share of search against MPS or any other research metric is data points. If we were maskists, which some may, sit, may, some may suggest we are, we could collect share of search by the minute for our clients going back to 2004. This would give us roughly, what's the time now? Roughly 3,750 and 370 sequential data points to work with. Normally I'd be happy with 100 sequential data points. In order to get 100 sequential data points for a single metric from a standard research project though, even with monthly dips, you're talking years. For MPS, it would have taken months and months. Um, with this tool, this information based on pure customer intent and customer action, at your fingertips, it's invaluable. And again, it can be measured directly against performance and be used as a predictive tool from the outset, rather than having to wait for months and months and months. Fantastic, Tasman. Ken? Uh, look, um, geez, it's not going to be much of a debate, Taz, if we're going to agree to everything. Um, look, the only thing I would say is that NPS is part of a suite of measures that 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 are useful. But as you say, Mitchell, share of search is not the full name of the measure. It's the share of organic search of a specific brand name. I think that that's going to be really important as we go through to keep a focus on the fact that folks have typed in a brand name. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to call it share of brand search. Uh, and to help keep that brand top of mind, I'm going to continue to refer to it as share of BS. So I hope that's uh, okay with everyone. So Mitchell, share of BS is already overhyped. You asked, is it overhyped? It's already overhyped. Let me let me give you a little quick background on chronology of NPS, and because it tells us a lot about the potential adoption of, of uh, um, share of BS. Um, so. Harvard Business Review published Reichelt's paper, The One Number You Need to Grow, in December 2003. For six years before that, Forthood had been applying, six years before that, Forthood had been applying the NPS question to dozens of longitudinal studies. Published in December 2006 in the SMR Research World titled Value Speaks Louder Than Words, Forthood released a nine-year study of the best performing dependent variables for predicting growth and conclusively found that advocacy or NPS was statistically inferior 
to all other constructs tested. Mm-hmm. 2006, here we are, 2021, and it's and it's and it's it's still around in a lot of places. So that was that was Forthought's paper in 2007, the first peer-reviewed journal article by Kineham, Kineham, he found that the research fails, his research fails to be able to replicate Reichelt's assertions. Wow, using the same data, fails to be able to replicate his assertions regarding the clear superiority of the net promoter score. So pause to ask, why didn't the Forethought and Kiningham articles stem the unbridled adoption <clears throat> of NPS back then, right at the outset? The answer is, and the answer is really relevant for today, the answer is droves of consultants selling the simplicity of Nirvana and the rise of the NPS fundamentalist. The NPS fundamentalist is when, without question, one believes that improving an NPS will lead to a better business outcome. And Taz and I bump into them every day. So Les Burnett, coming forward to, to Les Burnett, who, as Mitchell said, is kind of the, um, the preeminent voice in this area, uh, although we, we are going to also talk about James uh, Hankins because he I think he published before Les, but certainly they've been running parallel. So I'm going to refer to both of them. But Les Burnett has been quite assertive and singular in his claims. Uh, I would say James Hankins' approach has been more cautious and clearer about the many caveats, and already you've heard Taz talk about some of the potential caveats, which I'm really pleased to hear him mentioning. So this is just a really quick nutshell of what Burnett has said. This is what what should be your takeout. A rolling 12-month view of share of brand search is a reasonable approximation for consumer choice and therefore market share. Only occasionally there is a sizable lead time between search and choice. A 10% increase in share of voice may result in a less than half of 1% increase in share of brand search. If the advertising is effective, if the advertising is effective, 40% of the effect of the choice will be immediate. 60% will occur in the indefinite future. Now, when the inevitable army of consultants that are upon us now turn these ideas into currency, as they will, the caveats will be lost, just as the Kiningham and Forthought articles will be lost or were lost, and the enticing idea of simplicity will be all that remains. So what will be the takeout of share of BS from, for the fundamentalists? They will say share of search is equal to market share. If you're unhappy with your market share, advertise more. Now, um, I know Taz is a marketing scientist and, and, and he, would, he would want to correct someone who would say that, but, but we're not going to be able to control it. It's going to have a life of its own because the primary spokespeople for share of search or or share of BS um, have got economic reasons for pressing it. So the undeniable subscript coming from these two admin uh, is that share of search explains market share, share of voice explains share of search, therefore advertise more and all else will follow. That's my sense, Mitchell. Great. Uh, Great insights there. And and you're absolutely right about... uh, the army of consultants who have been advocating for NPS uh, uh, since that uh, Robert Reichfeld article in Harvard Business Review way back in 2003, uh, and now it's just everywhere, NPS. Uh, And indeed, uh, for share of search, uh, advocates claim uh, that survey-based brand measurement for many companies is just too costly and complex, and that competitive digital spending is too difficult to quantify, and therefore a practical inexpensive alternative is required. Uh, And of course, as was said earlier, share of search begins with free data from Google. Of course, you still need internal uh, numbers such as marketing spend, but the overall effort is relatively light, similar to MPS. Uh, And that, of course, I've been there in a a senior marketing role. Uh, You're getting this uh, uh, multiple uh, uh, demands on you from left, right and center, senior C-level people wanting to know, B-level board members, 
What the hell are we getting out of our marketing spend? How are we moving the needle? And it is a temptation to go for what is simple and practical. And critically for share of search in the context of uh, the growth colony audience that we have today, it's relevant to both B2C and B2B. So, Ken, given this reality of the operational and resource constraints that almost all marketers face, isn't a practical share of search initiative worth prioritising and executing? Ken? Yes, it's free. Well, let's talk about free. Um, uh, I think that the the simplicity aspect is a a call to action that Taz and I, Tasman and I, are are completely focused, uh, focused on in our practice. So um, we, I completely agree with you uh, that that this is critical for management for it to be simple. But, you know, just about it being free and data sources. So as long as it is quality, forethought is indifferent as to where we get our data from. Some of our uh, most predictive models have had data from multiple sources, including organisational data, publicly available data and survey data. Uh, we always include survey data, Mitchell, um, because of the proven dependent variables, and that's that's primarily why we get better modelling. So the point that you made about simplicity, to extract share of BS, all you need to do is some, have some simple programming syntax scripted in R or Python and Excel. Uh, but data is never free. It is never free. There is such a thing as data wrangling and there's data cleansing. And relative to survey data, there's a loss of accuracy all to produce a naive forecasting model with no explanatory variables. The naive forecasting model is a blunt instrument. It does not allow for trends or seasonality. And this is not to mention the degree of art that both Binet and Hankins discuss. Art should be read as future replication and tracking uh, challenges. So share of BS correlates with choice. Yes, yes. Uh, in his Walk article, Hankins reports a correlation of 0.97 for department stores. Are there any cynics amongst us today? You can't help but wonder just how much smoothing of the data is causing this amazing correlation. And just ret- returning to data wrangling, Bennett says, when you group the data into deciles, the correlation between share of voice and share of search is really strong. And keep in mind that that's after he'd already collapsed the data into rolling 12-month periods. So, you know, you've done all the smoothing, you're getting these great correlations. It looks great, doesn't it? It looks great to the to the enumerant. So they talk about um, 300 years of data, big data sets, econometric modelling, detailed mathematical modelling, multiple regression. It's Y equals A plus BX, just so we all know. The only thing that I can see is simple linear regression, and I, I know that they talk about other things, but I would like to see evidence that that's actually been done. So... Using the Excel scatterplot function to produce a linear regression model and then mixing up, I kid you not, go to the articles. I'm not going to defame someone on this this call, but just if you go to the, the articles, mixing up the share of market, which is meant to be the dependent variable, instead plotting it as the independent variable. This is what you want me to give up for survey data. This is the, these are the, the this is the kind of material that's being put forward that anyone who is you know even remotely uh, literate in in econometrics or or 101 uh, stats would be going hang on so presumably some of the noise that you've smoothed out uh, is actually you and your competitors marketing campaigns mm-hmm. so I question the removal of noise in the new, in the in the name of boosting uh, correlations free data huh um, and remind me again, what happens when extraneous variables break the free data set? Binet published his work in 2020, but the automobile example that he gives ends in 20, uh, 2014. Oh, yeah, the, uh, the scandal in, in 2015 for, uh, for emissions for VW. Yes. So at best, share of brand search is not 
worthy of prioritising and, and executing, but may be worth further investigating, Mitchell. Indeed. Taz, how would you respond? Uh, I, I love those comments there from Ken, uh, naive, uh, enumerate, uh, scatterplot, <laughs> Excel. Taz. Yeah. Um, so this may be where we start to disagree, which is good. Um, but I think to start with, we can both agree that there are people that are terrible at their jobs in every field. Uh, we like to think there's not, and consulting and marketing probably have more than their fair share, which is unfortunate. You know, I know personally, I've seen a lot of research pieces done by companies which have used entirely different audiences month by month in their surveys, leading to wildly inaccurate results and make absolutely no sense. So we can go after bad actors at any time, that's fine. Um, and personally, I'd argue that many of the research metrics uh, that are used by companies are naive, uncorrelated metrics. I know we've talked to companies before who had a focus on unprompted awareness or prompted awareness that did not tie through to any of their profits, any new customers or any other metric they were using, um, which is an issue. So just to change what we're saying here a little bit, I'm going to stick with calling it share search, if that's fine with you, Ken. Mm. Um, but it correlates with interest rather than choice, which is probably an important thing. Uh, if somebody searching for your company does not mean they're going to buy. There's a whole bunch of steps that need to happen after that. Uh, much like unprompted awareness doesn't lead to some necessarily buying your product. Uh, and yeah, you can use share a search and do it in rolling 12 months periods if you want to hide everything, but there's absolutely no need to. Um, if you're doing this properly, you're looking at the seasonality between that, you're looking at seasonality and market share. And as I said, we can break this down to the actual minute. So there's, you can roll up into 12 months, but generally we don't want to hide things. And as I'm not an ad man, increasing spend is not my business. Uh, instead, we'd look at response curves for different things. So rather than saying you spend this million dollars, it will go up to here. We could say something like if you shift this spend into these areas, then your share of search will go up, which if we've tested it in the correct way, we will know has a long-term lasting impact for your business. Um, and also the original share of search was focused on replacing share of voice as a corollary to that. And we know that more and more share of voice is getting difficult to capture. Uh, with third-party cookies disappearing, this will become an even bigger issue. So I think that was where share of search originally came from. As you did mention there though, Ken, major challenge share of search is facing is capturing market share. Most companies already struggle to capture this. So naturally there's a lot of work to be done in this area um, by a range of companies. Some companies like auto, it's much easier to get. Uh, although I do know some auto companies that couldn't tell us how many cars they've sold in a year, which is terrifying. Um, share research, however, does not need to be a, a purely external looking tool. So generally we look at market share in terms of how well you're doing. If you're a retailer, however, you can look at how well your products are moving, how well brands you sell are moving. That way you can use your own internal data, your own internal seasonality, and the knowledge you have on advertising around these things to actually understand whether or not the share of search for those brands is changing how you need to stock your shelves. This creates a huge opportunity for businesses to use share of search, not just as an external looking factor, but as an internal looking one. Um, and the other challenge with share of search, uh, as it is with research, is some businesses are simply too small to use it. They don't have the volume of search required to get a result and research absolutely would suffer from those exact same issues. I think share research though is absolutely not necessarily worth executing. I wouldn't say every company needs to go out and start using their share of search as the major metric for uh, running their advertising. I think what companies should do though is test whether or not share of search is indicative of performance. Once they've done that, they can test because as you said, it could be up to a 12 month lag. For some companies it's even longer, um, but you could use that to start to predict what their performance is gonna be. And if you start to do that, then you can say, yep, this is actually a relevant metric for us and we can use this going forward. And if they're using brand health research, I'd advocate the exact same steps. Look at them, look at the metrics you are testing against and see if they are actually explaining anything of value to your business. If they're not, maybe consider using some other metrics. Thanks again. Test and learn, uh, and Tasman, thank you yep. both. Uh, and I'll just remind everyone, uh, if you've got a question, please drop it into the Q&A uh, uh, panel uh, in, in the Zoom environment here. Uh, we really will get to those questions uh, uh, towards the end of, of this session. Uh, you, you heard Ken reference Les uh, Binet. Uh, he has been the most visible uh, advocate uh, of uh, Share of Search. He's a UK-based head of effectiveness at the agency Adam and Eve, DDB. Now, uh, he quotes the legendary ad man, David 
Ogilvy as saying, the trouble with market research is that people don't think what they feel. They don't say what they think and they don't do what they say. So Taz, was Binet right to use this quote to remind us that stated behavior is a poor substitute for inferred behavior and therefore share of search is indeed a key causal predictor of future market share and revenue. Thanks, Mitchell. Uh, I wouldn't say he was wrong to use it. I just say I'm disappointed he didn't quote a rapper instead. Uh, so to come <laughs> to fame, marketer Jay-Z, don't believe everything your earlobe captures. It's mostly backwards, unless it happens to be as accurate as me and everything it said in song you happen to see and actually believe half of what you see, none of what you hear, even if it's that by me. So share search is one of many tools that takes this quote and obviously Ogilvy's quote to heart. Um, the, entire heart the entire field of behavioral analytics is based on focusing on what customers actually do rather than what they claim to do or will do. As such, share search is not unique in this field. Uh, I would, however, go as far as to say that this quote has been the major rift between analytics and research for a long time. There's a really easy way to demonstrate this though, and if you don't mind taking a little time to do that, we'll do that now. Uh, naturally, this normally works better with a live audience. Let's give it a crack though. So for those listening, if you've ever used a dating app, I want you to put your hand up. <laughs> now, as you know, even though I can't see any of you, I know for a fact a bunch of you just lied. A bunch of you, even the privacy of your own homes where you could not be seen, didn't put your hand up, and even if you're in an audience, you weren't going to. So for some reason, we think that's going to change when a person's asking you for a survey that you're suddenly going to be honest. People have a range of internal biases, internal beliefs that always change the way they talk about things and the way they believe they're going to do things, and then they go and do things entirely differently. Purveyor's um, research will tell you that you need to do surveys and conduct research in order to understand the key drivers behind why a customer or a group of customers do what they do and feel what they feel. Hardcore analytics folk, however, will tell you you don't ever need to talk to people and they can understand all of this through target behavioral metrics and infer everything they need from this. This is probably why analytics people have the reputation they have and can't talk to anyone, so we won't go with quite the hardcore analytics there. Um, but the ideal situation is a combination of the two. Relying solely on what customers say with no further work will lead a company to ruin as quickly as focusing solely on short-term digital media. But as we already discussed, we live in a world of constrained resources, with time being one of the major constraints. So to ignore actual customer behavior that's already at your fingertips, it's not just looking at gift horse in the mouth, it's trying to start the kickboxing match with it. It'll only end up getting you hurt. Great, Taz. Great com uh, comment there about that uh, uh, dating app. And you could also say the same about uh, uh, electoral polling uh, recently, uh, for yeah. sure. Who's yeah. owning up voting for Trump uh, to a pollster in the United States? And uh, uh, Ken, how would, you, how would you respond? You must have read my... I, I got quoted in the US recently using exactly that. And I, I yes. called it... I called it... What did I call it? The um, <clears throat> From a few good men, you know... In, you know, in places dark, you don't want to admit that you want me on the wall. You know, yeah, it's a, it's a social bias. We all get it. We all know about it. Uh, look, it, it's look. Um, you know, I really like Taz's approach here. You know, particularly his answer to the previous question about, you know, look, that's what Binet says about rolling up to twelve months. I'm not doing that, and I really applaud, uh, you know, an approach of taking this data and looking at it and investigating it, um, and and looking past it being uh, overhyped. And, you know, as for the, the bad actors, yeah, yeah, we've all got them. Um, uh, I'm not certainly defending the, the marketing research industry. I resigned from the marketing industry a long, long time ago. Um, but, yeah, as for not talking to people, uh, analysts, that's something I do want to talk about. So, yeah, Ogilvy took the obligatory cheap shot at a competitor, which is survey data. I, I, I agree with Taz. I think that that was really, I don't know, I don't even know why he did it, but he shares the stage with, with Reichheld, who did exactly the same thing in his article. What is widely understood amongst the insights fraternity is that stated behaviour is a poor substitute for inferred behaviour, for model behaviour. People might do uh, what they say, however, what uh, uh, they do what modelling infers, they do what modelling infers at a category, at a brand, at a segment and increasingly at an individual level. So just on um, uh, Taz's point about analysts, I, I want to, I'm sure that um, uh, Taz would be would be aware of this. Uh, Chris Anderson predicted uh, a world 
where data analytics would replace all other disciplines. And uh, he, in his article he wrote, this is 13 years ago, um, out the door with every theory of human behaviour, from linguistics to sociology, forget taxonomy, ontology and psychology. Who knows why people do what they do? The point is they do it. And we can track that and measure it with unprecedented fidelity. With enough data, the numbers speak for themselves. Isn't that the very danger that's before us right now, suggesting that a correlation between two numbers, share of search and market share, um, and, and failing to understand how people actually make their choice? What does it mean? So going back to the, the you know, like I, I, I like the fact that uh, Taz is doing this from first principles, but you've got to keep in mind that that's not what's getting out there. What's getting out there is, is what Bennett and, and Hankins are saying. So Bennett and Hankins have discovered that if you get on an express train to Frankston, sometime later you'll arrive in Frankston. The brand you type into your browser is highly likely to be in your consideration set and highly likely to be the brand you choose. Does that feel like a great revelation to anyone? Binet and Hankins are focused on what happens once you've entered a brand name. Ahead of that, brand owners want to influence what you type into your browser. How do I get more people to want to go to Frankston? Survey data analytics along with all sources of data help marketers to build brand preference. That means ahead of you buying your ticket, estimate the likelihood that you would be going to Frankston. And more importantly, if you're not going to Frankston, what are the rational and emotional drivers that will lead you to decide to go to Frankston or Craigieburn? These are the kinds of insights can, captured by survey data and not in share of BS. It is this survey data that enables brand owners to build their brand preferences and share. If Bennett and Hankins had have cracked that nut, Mitchell, then indeed this would have been an important discovery. Mm. Indeed. Thanks. Thanks, Ken. Uh, Taz, Ken, Ken has written uh, that share of search, as we've just heard, is no magic bullet answer. Uh, doesn't allow, as we've heard, for the multitude of other factors that are in play, such as price and quality attributes, uh, which, of course, survey-based brand management captures. So, Taz, isn't Ken correct, as you've heard, that there's, a, that there's just too much risk in putting too much weight into share of search, just as too many brands put their sentiment measurement efforts into MPS programs, and as a result, overemphasize those results. Uh, how, do we, how do we inject the necessary sophistication in, into the approach to meaningfully using share of search? Yep, I'll answer that in just a second. Uh, just for a second, though, to go back to Ken's point, uh, we need to look at more than a correlation when looking at share of search. We actually need to test its predictive capability. Um, the power of share of search is that it gives you information at the top of the funnel, where mostly at the moment we have little more than the dreaded gut feel and mm. research metrics, which can be useful, but if they've got no predictive capability for an analyst, they don't provide as much value. Uh, to answer your question though, Mitchell, and this is absolutely a relevant concern. Um, companies have sadly often been a bit like a toddler when it comes to new tools or metrics. They focus on the new shiny thing and it's the center of their world until they work out they can't put it in their mouth and then they move on. We've seen this with digital attribution, which led to short-termism. We've seen it with data lakes, which led to huge expense for little value. And, of course, we saw it with MPS. Share of search is a bit safer than these metrics, although I should say could be a bit safer than these metrics, as it sits at the top of the funnel. And a silver bullet is actually a great analogy for it. You just need to remember exactly what a silver bullet is. Firstly, for it to be effective, you need someone that can actually aim and fire the gun. This means you need someone that can actually do base analytics, can look at seasonality and take into account all of these factors. Secondly, you need to realize that a silver bullet is really only built with one purpose in mind. It's to kill werewolves. It's not built for anything else. Sure, you can kill a person with a silver bullet, probably shouldn't. Um, if you've got vampires though, you're just gonna make them angry. A silver bullet is good at its job. It's when you start using a silver bullet for something it's not designed for, like trying to win global poverty, you quickly run into trouble. Share a search is great if you wanted to understand the long-term impact of your media and the immediate interest generated by any advertising or sponsorship you have at the moment. It's also great at understanding what your competitor's performance is likely to be over the next year, which can help you increase or decrease your marketing spend in particular months, particular weeks, whatever the case is. 
Uh, this is all done with the assumption of ceteris paribus, as everything else in the analytics world is. If you want to understand how to fix climate change, then you probably need something other than share research. It can't fix all your problems. After all, it's not chocolate. But like any new company, any new toy, companies need to understand that share research has its place. It's absolutely not going to replace everything else. It absolutely shouldn't replace all of the research metrics, but it could tie in very nicely. It could replace consideration for the research metrics um, and could tie in with the longer brand health pieces and become a really useful metric as part of that full funnel, which can give media, media companies and marketing practitioners an actual full holistic view of what goes along in their funnel, allowing them to optimize the entire way through rather than focusing on digital attribution and wondering where all their customers went to get later. Great response, uh, Taz. Uh, can, can I now put a challenge to both of you, uh, Taz and, and Ken? Your client has budget for only one initiative, share of search or a brand health survey. The client cannot afford both. Resource constrained, time constrained, ad hocracy, uh, matrix structured, uh, they can only really focus on one thing. What initiative do you recommend? Of course, in an ideal world, as we've heard, you would both endorse uh, the two initiatives uh, and they would complement each other. But in this scenario, we can only commit to one. So Ken, firstly, and then Taz, but, but Ken, all other factors being equal, which is the best long-term metric? What do you advise your client? Well, look, I can't get over Taz using Cerebus Paribus. <laughs> if he's going to start swearing, then I think, no, no. <laughs> it, it, it's really raised the standard, hasn't it? Uh, I'm going to be thinking of some Latin now, Taz. I think men's rear and uh, anyway. Um, look, you can't do both. If you can't, well, I think you can do both, of course, um, and we would do both. Uh, we think that... Um, you know, uh, what, I mean, share of search is a, a, a great, you know, the fact that there's a, a reasonable correlation between share of search and choice, market share, um, the, tells us how effective we are in the funnel. And we think that, you know, that's a, it's a terrific bit of information. We'd want to incorporate that and do incorporate that into our work. And indeed, um, Taz, we think that's a dependent variable, by the way, there, um, which, which might uh, stimulate some of your thinking as well. Um and there's little marginal cost in, in us doing that. But the influence, Mitchell, the influence of market share are the factors that we would recommend to the client that they measure. So what are the discrete emotions that drive consumer choice in the category? What's the relative performance of your brand, the experience and the perception implicitly measured? Mm -hmm. Then what's the hierarchy of um, rational drives of choice, price and quality? And again, what's your relative performance, uh, perception and experience? Mm -hmm. And then distilling that into, okay, then in our creative brief and in our operational performance, what should we be focused on? So Bennett makes the concession that the way that you, uh, that interest in a brand converts to actual sale is moderated by other factors. Damn right. Even, even before interest, those other factors such as price, um, competitiveness, quality, attributes, emotion are captured by survey-based uh, brand measurement. And that all happens before, before you type a brand name into your browser. And Binet omitted this fact and as such advocates for what is only partial, uh, a partial or inferior substitute for survey-based brand measurement. So, you know, Gartner, just a last point, Gartner mm -hmm. in 2020 said that brand strategy was the most, according to CMOs, was the most important aspect of their role. Um, you know, the average duration of a CMO is, is three and a bit years. So to notwithstanding the fact that Taz doesn't do this, but Bennett does, rolling 12 months together means that you can't attribute um, the, the CMO's performance for the first year of their performance, and, and they're only there for three and a bit years. So um, when you report a low share of uh, internally now, thinking about you walking up to the CMO and saying, oh, uh, a share of uh, uh, BS has, has, has collapsed, the CMO will ask, why? How will you answer that? Will you give him a correlation or will you give him a behavioural driver or give her a behavioural driver? Uh, you can tell a CMO or a proprietor that their market share has dropped, but you better have the, anal the anal analysis and the facts. So share of BS uh, is low. How do you fix it? 
Um, who will be responsible for the four? What drivers need to be improved to increase the share of BS? What are the hierarchy of drivers? A marketer is appallingly poorly served by uh, a share of BS in a falling when their brand is falling. Uh, if your you know if if your share is Binet says if your share of search is below market, then you can expect to decline. Oh, great. Well, I need to do something about that because, first of all, the CMO is not going to accept that. I need to be able to go back and talk about what, what's causing this. I need to be able to give him behavioural drivers. Um, now, uh, uh, it's my turn to disagree. My last point, Mitchell, my turn to disagree with Taz um, and, and strongly disagree with Burnett and, and, uh, and James Hankins, and that is to say this isn't top of the funnel. This isn't top of the funnel. You're not you're not getting into a decision choice and opening by putting the brand name that you're going to ultimately buy. It's probably at the decision and action stage of the funnel. What's at the top of the funnel is that information search brought about by the asymmetry of information between a buyer and a seller. And that's that's what the internet is about. That's what the World Wide Web was developed for as an information transfer. And only further down the funnel do you start typing in brand names. Unless, of course, you know, like you're like the rest, all of us, and, and you're lazy and rather than putting in the URL, you just put in a brand name. Hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, my answer is pretty clear, Mitchell. I, um, I would be strongly recommending uh, that they look at behavioural drivers of, of brand. Great. Thank you. Tess, how would you respond? What would you find? Uh, yeah, to start with, uh, the only Latin I think of when going into debates, much like you can, I think, is Winnie Winnie Vici. Um, and to answer your question about the top of the funnel there, uh, people do research. I, I know this seems strange, but if you're buying a car or something else, people tend to research the brands. If you run a good advertising campaign with a good creative for, like Audi did back in the day, people might want to look at Audi. And they may not be buying an Audi now, they might buy an Audi in a year's time. But they're still doing their research beforehand, which is why it can be a top of the funnel as well as a bottom of the funnel metric. But again, you need a proper analyst to actually work out where it's sitting and why it's driving those things. Uh, but to answer your question, Mitchell's unequivocally share research. You can use econometrics to help determine how to improve this. Obviously, there's other, fa other factors mentioned. Generally, share research is used for existing brands. So you can generally assume that the other things like price haven't changed. Um, but the beauty of it is you don't need to worry about what participants survey. You don't need to worry about whether or not you have a good company running the surveys for you, understand if practitioners are able to adjust for the assumptions they have to make, and you can get useful results that same day rather than needing to wait multiple years to get enough data points to actually understand how the results type through to the bottom line for your business, i.e. dollars. So instead of asking whether or not to do a share of search to brand health, just ask yourself if you want actual information now or in three years. Some might call me impatient, but I'll check now. Great, thank you. Thanks, Taz. Uh, both both of you have contributed uh, incredibly insightful answers with real substance, and it's provoked quite a, a range of questions uh, uh, from from our people uh, participating today. Uh, and and we'll now review the first of these questions and uh, endeavour to uh, address them. We'll get to as many as we can. Uh, please do continue to post them in the Q and A panel. I know some of you have also used the chat. And we've captured those. Uh, I, I'm just going to briefly paraphrase uh, a couple here. We're starting with Jenna Wills. Jenna, thank you for your question. Um, you say here brand metrics are measured through survey, as measured through surveys, are determined through self-reports of individuals, usually incentivized to answer, even if there is a greater explainability in the larger amount of brand metrics found in a survey compared to something like share of search. With the with the one-to-one -one sample size of share of search, is this not a stricter version of the truth? Gentlemen, how would we respond to Jenna? Maybe you, uh, Ken. Oh, <clears throat> pardon me. Thanks, Jenna. Oh, no, not a stricter version of truth. So <clears throat> I guess that, uh, you know, uh, we're very, very lucky uh, that we work in industries where uh, we have uh, tremendous uh, a granular uh, views or vision of mark change in market share um, by you know by month, uh, and I'm talking about, for example, um, aviation or you know in Australia the industry funds, for example, and um, we have predictive models based on what consumers in survey data tell us, 
And our, our correlations, and they were presented by Australian Super and by Host Plus at the, uh, at the, uh, the commission, at the uh, commission into the banking. You can have a look at our models. Uh, um, uh, Host Plus submitted our entire modelling and you can see how amazingly accurate we are at predicting changes in market share and changes in defections. So, um, yeah, look, I, yeah, they're incentivized. There's all those things that you can say about panels and survey data, but, you know, we've got strong predictive models and we've got lots of organisations. Forethought has lots of clients that have gained market share and have gone from being on the cusp of going out of business to being market leaders. So, yeah, that's all I can say. Tessman. I, I think that's just mostly a question for Ken there. Sure. It's just around sample size and validity of large sample sizes. Sure. Uh, another question here for Ken. Has Forethought pressure tested share of search yourselves or is your criticism based on a review of other people's work? No, uh, great. Are you clients playing with share of search? Uh, we're playing with it. Right. Uh, as I mentioned before, um, we have some hypothesis about um, the gap between the sheriffs. So, so, so just, just hang on for a second, Mitchell, if you think about this. So someone has come out and said there is a, a 0.8 to a, to a 0.9 correlation between the name you put in at the top and the choice that you make at the bottom. Now, first of all, that 80 or 90% correlation is, is amazing, but still not everyone's making their way through the funnel. So that can become um, a, a critically important variable for understanding why people aren't making it through the funnel. And that's what we're working on on, on this data with, uh, looking at that area. So, no, it's not. But, it, but by the way, um, I think uh, I used to be an associate professor at Melbourne Business School and I was, you know, you know over a decade at Monash. Um, yeah, I've read all the literature. There's nothing, I don't believe there's anything, any major journal article or major, you know, uh, video or anything that I haven't had a look at about this. So I, I do feel that I'm in a position to, to point out where the frailties are in some arguments. Indeed. Uh, Tasman, good, good question uh, for, for, for you here from Angela Kent. Um, what's the best ways for a B2B business to measure market share? Uh, that can be extremely difficult to do. Uh, most companies will use an external provider to do that kind of thing for them. Um, B2B, this has been more difficult, but the easiest way, unfortunately, is you're going to have to make a few assumptions. You have to work out how many customers there actually are that you may be able to serve and then work out how many of those customers you're serving. After that, it's a fairly basic formula to work out what your market share company is. Uh, for some B2B companies where there's thousands and thousands of potential company, customers, this becomes far more difficult. Uh, for someone when you've got 10 potential clients, then it's much easier. Could I also add, please, yeah, Mitchell? Please. Um, Angela, I think that um, uh, Mitchell, uh, Taz is absolutely right what he just said. Um, just uh, it's your definition of a market in B2B is, is very narrow. So um, there's a thing called finite population correction factor in our sampling where it enables us to say, look, you know, we, we work for clients that might, like, for um, for example, Horizon that, that pull coal in, in Queensland, you know, and they've really only got five or six clients. So they're, they're B2B, they're still doing marketing research, they're still doing sampling, they're still interviewing respondents. So the idea there is battlefield sampling, mm. you know, defining where the market is and then narrow, that narrow definition, then talking to the folks within that. So, mm. Yeah, I love that phrase, battlefield sampling. That, thanks, Ken. Uh, look, we've got a question here uh, about uh, uh, the validity of, of, of share of search as a predictive indicator of market uh, share change. Uh, given that uh, uh, market share change does not occur that often in mature industries, uh, isn't it surprising that we claim there's a lot of evidence that share of search is predictive of these relatively rare events? Might that alone suggest uh, questions as we've been discussing about the merit of this uh, uh, metric, share of search? Um, I think that really depends on how you're defining a mature industry. Like the automotive industry constantly has a share of market change, share change. Uh, the beer industry in the US as well, huge changes through there consistently. Uh, 
year on year, if not month on month, week on week. Uh, it depends how you're actually defining what your market share is. I'd say that it absolutely changes on a consistent basis. Um, huge swings, more unlikely to see, but moving your percentages up and down, far more likely. I completely agree with, with Taz on that, totally. I, yeah, it, um, uh, yeah, change in market share is, 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 is often occurring and it's, 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 it can be occurring in response to just a, a campaign. So, yeah. And if we can't see that, then we may as well quit our job as marketers, right? Mm. Sure. Um, that, there is a comment there from Matthew as well, sorry, Matthew, around the caveat for, Matthew, yes. yeah, around the caveat for share of search, many brands, websites who have non-members. Um, when looking at anything like this, you're looking at a change, Matthew, rather than what the overall is. So you will have that standard organic number of people coming through to your website that are members. And so you'd adapt to that in the moment. Fantastic. Uh, I, 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 we're coming to the con conclusion uh, now of what has been a great exchange. Uh, I, I have a final question for our two eminent uh, panellists, Tasman and Ken. Uh, share of search, uh, this debate leads us to a fundamental question, guys. What is more important in communication effectiveness? What you say or where you say it? Ken? Holy crap, that is a big question. Um, uh, yeah, well, and uh, look, I, I, uh, I, I asked that question recently of a number of folks, uh, many of whom you would know, um, and uh, the answer is entirely consistent with their paradigm. So I asked, I asked media folks and they told me that by far where you say something is the most important. But, of course, the creative people believe that what you say is more important. What, what I can say there, uh, Mitchell, is that um, what you say is dramatically uh, underinvested in. There is much more science in where you say things and what you say is, is basically neglected and often mistakenly outsourced to creative agencies who come up with the big idea, which might have nothing to do with what the drivers are of share or choice. So I think, I think my paradigm is, is, uh, is what you say. What you say. I hey. think it depends. I think it depends what you're trying to do. Um, I don't know if you've ever driven across the Midwest in the US, but if you drive through South Dakota, you'll see a sign for Waldrug about 400 kilometres before you get to a place called Waldrug. And every few kilometres, there's another sign for Waldrug. By the time you get to Waldrug, you're going to check out what Waldrug is just because you've seen that many signs. <laughs> so it absolutely can be where you say it and how often you say it. Um, B2B, much more the case what you say. B2C, more of a mix. Tasman and Ken, I really want to thank you for, for, for what you've shared today, this insight, this knowledge, this real wisdom. Uh, it's, it's been an incredible experience for me, a privilege uh, to be a part uh, of this discussion uh, to contribute. I really hope everyone who's participated has gained uh, some real value from uh, listening and, and, and in those who volunteered their questions. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for the kind words, Mitchell, and for facilitating the session. And thanks so much to you for joining us on this episode. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and sharing the pod with a friend. If you'd like to join the Growth Colony community, you can find us on Slack at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. Thanks again for the support and we look forward to seeing you next time.